Hello adventurers! Thank you so much for joining us today for this here adventure hour. As always, I'm going to give you a description of the adventure that we are going to go on today in the lovely, lovely city of Brisbane, Australia. Um, and then we will dive into the rest of the cast. So, strange days, a zombie apocalypse. Could it be zombies in the Brisbane streets? Brisbane is renowned for its art pieces. You're keen to achieve high distinctions in your next university assignment, but the shoppers in the mall have taken a strange turn, as if they've stumbled off the set of The Walking Dead. Brisbane has been infected. As zombies hustle through the streets, you'll need to decide who will you help, who will you abandon, and who, how will you escape alive? Brisbane has never been so panic-stricken, and you'll need to learn the art of survival if you don't want to become one of the living dead. Dun, dun, dun. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. So here today, joining me on this digital stage is the absolutely lovely and delightful Christopher Healy. Chris, thank you so much for coming today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. And um, I, um, we, we've had the, the opportunity to work with Chris multiple times and he is an incredibly talented musician, composer, um, uh, and all around just fun person to hang out with. So Chris, how about we start off with an introduction into who you are, what you make and what you've been up to recently? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, um, uh, I am a classical slash art music composer, um, which means that primarily I write music for orchestral instruments, uh, acoustic instruments, um, sometimes digital instruments and other things as well. Um, and, you know, if you think music that you see in a concert hall um, being played by live musicians, um, or indeed sometimes music that you hear to a film soundtrack or what have you. That's kind of my wheelhouse there in terms of what I do. Um, so I, I grew up in Queensland. I went to the Queensland Conservatorium for um, four years and then I did an honours year at the University of Queensland, all in composition. Uh, and then postgraduate I did PhD also at University of Queensland. Um, and somewhere in the middle of that was the original Story City where this happened, <laughs> somewhere right in the middle of there, um, which is great, fun, really fun project. Um, and now, yeah, I freelance as a composer. I do a lot of teaching work and um, all kinds of bits and pieces. So that keeps me it keeps me um, going and on my toes. <laughs> Love that. And how was like last year for you? Because like pandemic was uh, uh, presumably over. Like so. So what did you? What did you? What did like last year end up being like for you? Yeah, sure. So last year was um, the. Well, it was like, you know, the, the pandemic was the eye of the storm. And then last year was the bit that comes after that, which is always worse than the bit that came before. Um, but uh, so it was very chaotic. Um, I had a lot of a lot of projects going on. Everyone had a lot of um, pent up creative energy uh, that hadn't been expended or, you know, desires to get out there and do things uh, from the couple of years of pandemic and lockdowns and so forth. And um, yeah, last year was when when that all got released in a giant geyser of chaos. Um, so I had a lot of lot of different projects going on, which was fantastic. It was great to get back into it. Also, kind of exhausting. Um, yeah. So uh, at the start of the year, I had um, a piece for done by the Benigo Symphony Orchestra, um, and going forward from there, what was the next thing? I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm going to forget stuff. Um, I did a, this project which kind of went the whole year long with um, a Sydney-based um, group called Meager Ensemble. So I wrote a piece for them and workshopped it throughout the year and they performed it uh, at the Sydney Opera House at the end of the year. Um, wow. I spent, yeah, that was fun. Um, I spent most of the year also working on a piece for the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra that they did um, actually at the start of this year um, called Peter Nostra. It's on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and you type in um, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra Psych 2022, 2020, I don't remember. Anyway, if you type in Melbourne Symphony Orchestra Psych, I think it's the first one that comes up and my piece is somewhere in that, you know, two hour long concert. 
Um, and then there was, um, I wrote a 20 minute oratorio for um, a chamber, uh, a chamber group called Divisi Chamber Singers, um, which was this kind of um, LGBTQI plus retelling, reframing of the story of Jonah um, and the whale from um, the Bible. And um, that was with, you know, period instruments of so harpsichord and the oboe, oh, which is wow. this old, yeah, this, this old, um, like, giant lute, essentially. Um, lots of strings um, and, and also a, yeah, a, a um, period-appropriate cello, which is slightly different-looking cello with, and it has gut strings instead of steel strings, so it has a bit of a different sound. Um, and that was a fun project. Um, sounded really great. I was very happy. That was working with um, the librettist for that was a um, uh, someone called Rosie Forrest. Um, so she wrote the text, and then I turned that into music for that project. So she did fantastic on that text as well. I should I should put that in there. <laughs> um, and yeah, there was probably other stuff. I think there was other stuff. I don't remember, but it was chaotic. <laughs> nice. So, and and you, you've done a lot of very um, wonderful cinematic kind of stuff um for for various pieces on story city and like i i'm always so amazed at how um how different and emotive and atmospheric something sounds um particularly when it's you know audio based narration once you add a a, a proper um composition behind it, it it just it gives this added level that um um and, and that depth that um, is is really surprising um, until you kind of you listen to to both the the, the non composed version, the composed version, and, and realize how much it really adds. Yeah, I mean it's 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 so true. Um, and the classic example, and um, if anyone's listening and wants to go look it up, they can. If you jump on you and you type in Jurassic Park without the music, there's a short there's a short like four minutes of the film where someone's gone and managed to remove the music from the the film and you watch it without the music and it's so weird it's so uncomfortable so strange it just makes absolutely no sense and then you go back and you listen to them to it with john williams music in behind it's like oh, it's jurassic park you know like it's, it's just completely changes the the way you experience those four minutes of the film and it's it's an incredible example yeah oh i'll have to do it that a lot then. for us yes i'll have to have a look at that i'll have to look that um, example up um yeah, it's, uh, I, I remember actually, um, and even when I think about it, like a very long time ago, um, would play piano when I was in like high school through university. Mm. And I, I remember um, like taking the um, Alan Silvestri scores from like Forrest Gump and being able to play those yep. on the piano and loving those. And, mm -hmm. and I think that, that was kind of my first kind of understanding of what that mm -hmm. was um yeah absolutely you know um and uh it was it was good that films back then would have the soundtracks that also had a lot of the scores on them so like Forrest Gump um there was an Australian movie called The Dish that did that as well um as mm -hmm. well as you know like the popular music kind of soundtracks that are a part of that Although yeah yeah absolutely they don't seem to do that that much anymore though it depends on the film I think um it depends if, if it's like a contemporary setting, very frequent, often they will use pop song. Yeah. But, um, or if it's in high school, like if it's young people, often they use pop songs. Um, but then a lot of most cinematic music is, yeah, other, mm. it's, you know, someone's, someone's been, or a whole team, usually a whole team of people have been um, put assembled together to write the music. It's quite a convoluted process how those <laughs> films are often end up with music to them but um yeah it's usually original new stuff that's being created for them and um in that kind of um orchestral sound world even though half the time it's not you know actually an orchestra it's some um pre-recorded thing that sounds like an orchestra mm -hmm. or all these kind of tricks of the trade that they, they do make that sound as cool as it does so so that 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 brings me to asking you about your trade secrets like how did how did you go through the process because like how does your regular composition process vary from doing the stuff where you are composing against a film or composing against a narration like what was in Story City? Hmm. Um, 
There's very, there's not a lot of difference. The main difference is just that you have a limitation. Like you have something there that it has to match. So you know the the limitless cloud of possibilities goes from being infinite to being a little smaller. You know, still pretty broad, um, but you have a, a, a you have a, a smaller set of choices as to what's going to make sense in terms of telling the story, um, which I actually really like. I like having that there because sometimes the the cloud of infinite possibilities is slightly overwhelming. Um, and it's, it can be, it can be hard to find the thread that you want to traverse through that. Um, whereas when you know when the possibilities get collapsed, when you know that you know the emotion of this is, you know, it should be suspenseful or it should be whatever it should be. The limit, the, the choices of what you can do get smaller, and then you just can just play within that particular sand pit. Uh, actually, I enjoy it. It's easier in some in some strange way. Um, it was, I found the same thing with uh, the oratorio I wrote last year for uh, Divisi and um, Ensemble Ancien. It was the same thing. There was text there, which I love working with text for that exact reason. Like once the text is there, it just narrows your vision and like you almost have to think as much about things because it's just obvious what you should do in some strange sense. Um, yeah, things become more obvious. So I, I, I like that. <laughs> Nice. I enjoy that a lot. Hello, Brett. Thank you so much for joining us on the stream. Hello. Can you hear me? Have I connected you, properly? You have indeed. So, Brett, uh, this is the lovely Christopher Healy. He is a uh, musician and composer, um, and we were just talking about his process behind composing orchestral works versus composing um specifically for a film or for a narration like something like story city and how that kind of changes the process Very um, cool. a little bit um to give you a bit of background chris uh brett is um uh, a muso himself he uh runs an archipelago group here um in canada um and they recently a couple of weeks ago um ran a, a, an archipelago festival um and so they do a lot of acapella arrangements um, as, as part of all of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. What's your group called? Sorry. Uh, it's called Six Minute Warning. Kind oh. of a pop and R&B acapella group. Very cool. Um, and Chris was telling us about the, um, now, in my mind, I'm saying opera, but that was not the word you were saying, Chris. The the oh, uh, or oratorio. So oratorio, it's like an opera, yeah. but without all the or without all the acting and stage stuff. They just stand there and sing. Yeah. <laughs> so and, mm, yeah. And so, how did you end up getting involved in that? Because you said that you had there was someone else who was doing the lyrics, and then you were composing on those lyrics. Yeah. So for that particular project, um, it was just I knew someone in the group, and basically, and they. Um, wanted to do this particular project, and I was the the, the person at the time, and or hopefully the right fit for the project. Um, and then knew someone else who did the text. Um, so um, they asked Rosie Forrest was the person who did the libretto, and they asked her to um, create that that story, that retelling. So it was based on the story of Jonah and the whale from the Bible, but kind of a queer version of that. LGBT um, sense of the word queer. Um, and uh, so she came up with this text, which recontextualized everything, and then I um, inserted that into music. So it was for voices and um, some instruments like harpsichord and um, theorbo, which is like a giant, old-fashioned, very, very huge lute, um, and um, uh, period cello. Um, and yeah. There was Did a text you, and then you respond to the text. <laughs> in, in terms of like the period, like instruments that like mm. you were asking to compose for, like how much of a knowledge do you, do you have of those, like in those sorts of projects that you have of those kind of instruments and how much do you have to do like your research around that? Yeah, in this case, a lot less than I would have liked. Um, Upscored, I was fairly confident about mostly. Um, but I, I, I like to have had some physical contact with an instrument that I'm writing for, but I have had virtually zero with any of any of these three instruments. Um, so it was a little bit there was a little bit of guesswork involved. Um, I yeah, you kind of just build in your brain like a mental model, mental version of that instrument. Um, and then you know you try and apply all the logic you know from other instruments to that particular instrument um, and then make 
as informed decisions as you can based on that information you've assembled in your brain. Um, so there was a fair bit of that. But the Theorbo in particular um, was a complete mystery to me. Um, I tried to do research on that one, but it was very fruitless because it is such a niche instrument. Um, it's so seldom played and so seldom written about um, that the, the, the actual amount of information available, freely available on that particular instrument is close to zero. There's a few websites and that's about it. Uh, and then they're not all the same. Some of them are in different keys and some of them are, have different ranges and all sorts of different things, different string sets, some of them in different um, So it was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it my best educated guess here and then we'll just have to problem solve with the, with the performer when we get to that stage of the process, which is what we did. And mostly it was fine. They tweaked a few things here and there, um, but it, it worked fine. So I was happy enough with that. There you go. You have that, have, you have that folks. You, we, we've got an eminent now expert here in the harpsichord and, uh, and, uh, and other obscure instruments if you require um, anyone, please contact me. I don't think I would say expert. No, 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 please don't, don't contact me. No, please. It's fine, fine. Go on. Go on book and type in half quarters, the old or whatever, and talk to them because I'm not the expert. I just made an educated guess and it didn't go horribly wrong. So that was that was good enough for me. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, one yeah. person who has made an educated guess, you can contact exactly. Christopher and if you want, if you want to know about my educated guess, by all means, contact me. But I'm not an authority on the source, any stretch of the imagination. No, hey, how do you no. spell the name of this instrument? Uh, T H E. Oh, hang on, let me make sure I spell this right. It's one of those words I need to see written down. T-H-E-O-R-B-O. T-H-E-O-R-B-O. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's um, yeah, a quite unique-looking lute. So mm. it's got a very long neck because it's got these uh, this extra set of usually eight bass strings or seven. Mm -hmm. Um, bass strings, um, so it's it's quite a low. It's, it's basically you can give like a bass with extra strings in some sense. Um, they're usually pitched in the key of A, um, which means it's kind of their their low. Their low register is an A, and the strings tend to sit particularly well in in that key. Um, but there's some in G as well. Um, there's as you can see, there's uh, a very number of strings, but sometimes it's around fifteen usually. Um, I hope I'm getting this right because it was several months ago that I wrote it, so I may have may have mis been misremembering this at this point. Which is like, why I said talk to a theorbo player, not me. But um, yeah, it's a really fascinating, it's a beautiful sound. Um, but there's also a lot of just it's the whole history and tradition to how it's how it's used and how it's performed and how they even read the music they have. They, there is they have their own custom tablature that um, is often used. Oh, really? Um, which I know, which I know nothing about. Um, and I wasn't even going to attempt to learn that because I was just well outside of my my <laughs> well outside of what I was able to do with the time I was available. Um, unfortunately, they played music, so it was totally fine. It was all good there. But um, so, so yeah, I'm it's fascinating. Worth what's looking up? Have a listen. <laughs> so I'm interested to know because I know that like composers kind of vary into different camps. Where you'll have some composers who um, are very skilled at playing a bunch of different instruments and then you have other composers who very rarely touch an instrument but compose digitally do you have mm. a camp that you are in um no i don't know <laughs> i'm somewhere in between the two maybe mm -hmm. um i'm not i'm certainly not a virtuoso on any instrument by any stretch of the imagination unfortunately just i'd love to be um I I, tend, I generally tend to sketch at the piano, um, and then from there, once I kind of have my my materials and I have a rough idea of what I'm going to do with them, then from there I I don't really need the instrument as much anymore. It's kind of you know it's like in terms of writing a story, it's it's like you had to use a special typewriter for coming up with your initial like ideas and character outlines, and then after that you can go to the computer and just open up Microsoft Word and you're good to go. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. Um, so yeah, have is, a, it's fair. Do you have a virtual instrument set that in, in, includes a thurible? I don't. No, um, mm -hmm. I just use a guitar, I think, or something in the yeah, yeah, in the for MIDI purposes. But yeah, you just um, actually no, I think I use the harp for just most. Just the 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 playback for for me is mostly pitch checking. 
uh, and stuff like that, just making sure I have, you know, thought the notes right when I wrote, put them in and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I have written them in right and <laughs> it makes sense harmonically and like these things will line mm-hmm. up properly. Um, but the, the actual timbre of the instrument doesn't really matter too much. I can kind of add that that layer on. It could just be with pianos and it wouldn't for me personally. Um, gotcha. So don't, don't, don't care too much about that. Although, you know, if you're writing specifically, if that's the finished product is the sound that you're getting out of the thing, then, then it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's being played live, what it sounds like on the computer, I don't really care that much about. Yeah, yeah it was part of a... Uh... Uh, something called the Choral Art Festival in Banff a few years back, and what yeah, would happen yeah, yeah. is we get. Uh, sorry, what's that? No, no, I, I know, I know of it. Banff, I'm being. I'd love to go. It's an amazing looking place. Cool. Uh, yeah. So the the Choral Art one was uh, specifically they would have uh, eight um, professional choristers who could, you know, we could we could sight read anything essentially, um, <clears throat> and they flew in uh, some composers and they flew in some conductors. Uh, and then they, they had kind of some master class people. And essentially what would happen is the, the composers would work with the, you know, a, some world-class composer like Uji's Prowlins who won a Grammy for uh, his version of the Nightingale. Uh, and he would work with them to create these choral works. Uh, and then each day uh, we, the choristers, we would actually come in and just sing them for them uh, and to kind of, so they could hear exactly what it's going to sound like when a choir does it. Uh, right off the hop and they got each day they got to make changes to their their uh score based on that which is kind of a an interesting yeah. thing and i think it's mm. really cool how different composers um <clears throat> either you know audiate i think is the word hear the sounds in their head clear enough that they yep. uh they can play the full symphony i think you know uh historically mozart was famous for that which he just heard the whole symphony the whole way through in his head uh, and then some other people, it's like they prefer having the, the, the computer play it for them to give them that structure. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't... Um, it's it's a mysterious thing. Um, we'll never really know what people were hearing inside their head or not. Um, it's one of those, you know, people can say all kinds of things and you just never know. Um, but you, you do get your own intuitive sense of what things are going to... how things are going to go, how they'll sound, how they'll look you know um so it, it is fascinating the mental world of being a creative person mm-hmm. it's the same it'd be the same with the story writing well you know how how people when they're you know writing their story how are they imagining it in their brain are they actually like seeing it unfold like a you know a movie and they're just kind of dictating what they're seeing into words or you know like the, some other process that's going on there are they hearing mm-hmm. it just as dialogue? There's all kinds of, like, we all, we all hear and process information in different ways, which is quite fascinating, yeah. Yeah, a different mm-hmm. form of imagination for creation is, is uh, I think, I not not talked about very often. I feel like I'm, I'm jumping into the our story time here, but it's it's really cool that uh, all, I have a lot of different creative friends in writing and art and, and music, um, and, and like you're saying, like, you never really know what's going on in anybody else's head. Um, and, uh, like some people see like a structure, I assume Bach would have seen structure more than, more than heard music. Um, cause he's, it's just like, it's an interweaving of, of, of structure when I Well, that's see, the I, interesting thing about Bach though, is that he, yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing with Bach though, is that he was just such an incredible improviser. Um, yes, 100%, and yeah, yeah, his music is so beautifully structured, but from what I've read about it, him basically he would sit down the the, the organ what you heard you know, written down as his inventions or whatever he just improvised that and then write yeah. them down basically yeah yeah um you know and so like he's his brain is just doing doing all of that um I, how much he's thinking about like you know okay here's my if he's writing a few maybe it's different because you there's very specific components there but i don't know that music you just know you know is is he just so, so much of a genius that it just happens by accident, basically. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was. Um, I would. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I play uh, a fair bit of jazz piano, and in that, in mm-hmm. improvisations, I can do. I can do it in two methods. Um, if I'm, if I want to outline the structure of things, I can. I, I know I can sort of think of a pattern I want to create with my hands and and play through, uh, and alternatively, just be like, I will play something in my head and then I will just replicate that on the keyboard. Um, and they're both, mm-hmm. they, they create very different sounds and very different experiences for me and the listener. 
um, yeah, it's it's very cool to think what uh, what different it's, types it's strange. people produce. It is, it's strange how our our brains change change um, things in all sorts of weird ways. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'll have friends who claim that like the characters are there fully formed and they dictate where the story goes, and that has like never been mm. my experience as a writer. Like I am oh, always yeah. the one who has to like plan it out in my head, and the characters do what. I want them to do like you, you change you change things based on like would this character like you you do form like a character and would they or would they do x y and z thing but it never felt like the characters were just like talking out of me in the way that like you know Brandon Sanderson talks about writing his books or my friend Izzy Stevens talks about writing her books so mm. um yeah it's, it's like that's um makes me think of the um because Brandon Sanderson has that podcast on writing. Mm -hmm. I think it's called On Writing, maybe. Um, I don't remember. But um, I remember there was two episodes of that where they're talking about what they call, you know, panthers and plotters. So panthers are the people, you know, writers or creatives that fly by the seat of their pants. They just kind of make it up as they go. And then there's the people who need to sit down and plot everything. And then they basically, you know, they just, it's just turn their pot into like an expanded bird, which is, is the book. Um, the interesting thing about that, and I found that very true in my own experience as well, it, um, with students and so forth. But the interesting thing about that is that the amount of time taken doesn't change. It sounds like you know if you're a, if you're a planner or something, then or it should be quicker. Or if you're a one one of the two, sounds like it should be quicker. But what ultimately happens is if you know, if you're someone who just sits down, and makes up as you go, then at the end of your project, you have a draft. You have to go back and do a heck of a lot of editing. Mm -hmm. and if you're a plotter, you spend a lot of time up front coming up with that plan for it. And then you're just going through the motions, but the overall amount of time, it's kind of, it's just whether you're spending, you know, how much time is spent here versus here and it's, it's flipped around. It's just, it's, yeah, I just find it really interesting because I see it all the time and way different creatives approach, approach their work. I think Stephen King's another classic case of someone who just sits, sits down and makes it up as he goes more or less. Um, how much editing time he does, I'm not sure. I don't know that much inside his process, but I would imagine quite a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Well, we could talk about this all day, gentlemen, but we do have an adventure to go on. Um, and today's adventure is the zombie apocalypse. Now, I thought that I would set us up uh, a little bit here in the city of Brisbane. We are by a sculpture which is called Gestation, which is this lovely little golden sculpture right here in the Queen Street Mall. I also thought I might just bring up a nice kind of a bigger version of that so that we could get a get a nice kind of look at it there and you can walk through it it's a it's a interactive sculpture um which is where this little kind of girl comes into the mix here um but uh as per usual brett and i will pass the baton in terms of um narrating the story chris did you want to potentially be one of the voices in the story at all you don't have to be but i always like to i i can I can give it a go. Narration voice, I will warn you, however, it's like a, a um, gay version of David Attenborough. So um, it's up to Amazing. you whether that's what you want. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah, that sounds brilliant. I am I am on board with that. Um, um, what, yeah, I, I, am I supposed to, right, you do have to, you have to cue me something as we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll work um, it out. Yeah. so, so I think we have, um, we have a you, the person who is, um, the, um, uh, the adventurer, uh, and then we have a little girl. So maybe Brett, if you want to take the narration for this first chapter and i'll take the little girl and then uh and then chris you can be the adventurer the voice of the adventurer okay sure so yep got it Beautiful. um wait, and now with the dialogue tags is that going to do that that'll will be, be to... that'll be brett brett will do those mm -hmm. yeah okay mm -hmm. cool. can we uh is it possible i don't know if we can stream any audio but it, i, well, I clicked through I this and we wondering. get so, we get um, a bit of uh his his music and there's let no actual just, narration in it let me just because i added it to the other one but if i just add it in here as well media source add existing music track so let's listen to a little bit of chris's um uh music composition
I hear that on stream, good. It's very creepy. Music box is gonna kill my family vibe. Setting the dramatic vibe there, everybody. You're welcome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Lots of good stereo field that you've created there. Yeah. Uh, really well done with a, that. I can kind of like turn turn the volume down a little bit and we can kind of have it playing in the background if you want there, Brett, while you're doing the narration. I think that's a great idea. All right. Um, let's give it a shot. I'll listen a bit to see what the, the balance is, but yeah. All right, here we go. You arrive at gestation, determined to kill two birds with one stone by observing what all the fuss is about while single-handedly achieving those high distinctions in your Bachelor of Arts degree. Who said uni life was stressful? People stream around you, stumbling, limping, arms flailing by their sides. Moans and groans emanate from their throats. Their feet drag behind them. Their feet drag behind them. What's all this noise? You want to tell the shoppers to go home and take a foot bath if they can't handle the Myers sails. Then you see blood dripping from their faces. Their skin is a pale green color. Images of the walking dead flash in your mind and you wish you hadn't watched all those three series in 36 hours straight. That Rick Grimes, he made the zombie apocalypse look so cool. Much more fun than working part-time at the IGA deli and eating microwave dinners. Hang on, though. Didn't the zombies nearly eat him? Something scratches your leg. You scream! Jump back from the gestation ball. Who's that? You yell. Shut up and, and get in here! A girl's voice. Is it coming from the gestation sculpture? You bend down. You see a tiny girl underneath the ball. She hisses. If you want to live, get in here, now. You dive under the sculpture, but as you peer out through the gap, you wonder, could these people be zombies? Could such a virus exist and infect Brisbane? The zombie resemblance is uncanny, the way the shoppers are behaving. But it's impossible, isn't it? Car horns bleed on George Street, tires screech, smoke billows as cars collide. Zombie-like people smash glass as they tear at the flesh of the drivers. A chill runs down your spine. I, I can't find my parents. The girl next to you speaks quickly. We were in the gardens feeding the bandicoots and I haven't seen them since last night. Bandicoots, you think? Were her parents feeding them or feeding on them? Help me find my parents, she asks. My name's Mary. She extends her tiny hand. You're torn. Your ankles ache. You look down. Has Mary scratched you? You think maybe these people are just, they're just actors, just scaring a few shoppers. Isn't Carnival of the Dead coming up in October? Should you just shrug it off as a silly promo and keep your eye on the prize? Those high distinctions. Or should you help Mary find her parents, despite what you believe right now? Maybe Brisbane's finally coming to life with flesh-eating crazies. Uh, so our choices are Platform B bus station. If there's a chance you believe this could be real and you're feeling brave enough to help Mary, then take her hand and head north. Or the butterfly, butterfly facade. If this feels a little too weird and you'd rather ditch Mary and focus on those high distinctions by following through on your art trail walk, then head north. So, Brett... You are the um, newbie to this adventure. Do mm -hmm. you believe that this could be real? Or do you think that, look, uh, I think that maybe everyone's kind of yanking your leg, maybe doing a zombie walk kind of thing, and you just got to gotta focus on your eyes on the prize. Uh, I kind of, there's a fun thing that happens with, with Choose Your Own Adventures that doesn't happen in a lot of other mediums, which is, 
not only can you shape the narrative by your character's choices, but it can the the narrative can actually be written around your choices. So the so what you know there is potential that this could be written that it is actually a farce if you choose that it's a farce. So the writer can actually, you know, you choose that it's a farce, let's just let's move on and, and go. And then the, the writer can actually change the world so it is like, you know, it's all it's all goof. Uh, which is a really cool property, which you can only really find in in uh, choose your own adventures, where like you choose a totally different branch and uh fundamentally the world can shift along with that. Um <clears throat> And I think I think right now I'd have to be pretty contrarian to pick that though, to pick the like oh no this is fake I'm not going to help the like girl who's been separated from her parents and like I'm 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 focusing on me. Um, I think like you know the magic of this story is that you know there are zombies and you know we want to help this poor girl. So I think that's that's a, a bit of a shoe in for me to to help Mary find her parents. Do you have any uh, thoughts on this, Chris? Well, um, if it weren't for Mary, I would just be like, I'm going home for the day. Um, but I think, I guess, I guess there's someone there who's like, I need help. You don't really have too much of a choice, really. I mean, unless mm -hmm. you are Even psychopathic. Yeah, it, you probably have, you know, some, some need to just like get, hand Mary off to someone else who's not going to eat her. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, even if Mary has this weird, creepy, slightly British accent that Emily puts on when she was apparently there you go. attempting to be a little girl, and for some reason, all little girls are tiny British people. I <laughs> just yep. <laughs> okay, shut up and get in here. Too much. Hey, well, hey, I have to say, I think I nailed my one line in that, that opening. I just wanted to put that out there. I think I nailed it. Um, <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oscars All right. in the mail. Yeah, yeah that's there it. You go. All right. Okay. So we are going to go then. Uh, we are not going to ditch Mary. We are going to help Mary. Um, we are going to head up north on the mall. So we're going to go. Up here, we're going to go to platform. Oh, no, it's the butterfly facade. So we're going to go to platform B, which is the uh, the bus station kind of area. Um, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, And so that would be uh, between the water fountain on your left and the entry to the Maya Center on your right. All right. So we're heading a little bit down the mall then. Do we want to uh, do we want to maybe tr go for? I'm just throwing this out there. You can totally say no, Emily, but uh, go for consistency this, consistency this time, and I'll continue being the narrator, and you guys can do voices. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's uh, get ourselves to this busway first, though. So we're kind of coming to the. So this is the Maya Center over this side here, um, and then I'm pretty sure you can get down to the platform from. It looks like so that's platform B there, which is kind of where you go into the into the bottom there. Although I think that if we come up to where the Albert Street intersection is, that's gonna I've, get us. Also, I've I've got to say, I don't know who the artist is for this story, but like, hot damn, like it's yeah, it's uh, it's really evocative. Like immediately. And it's pretty much using just straight up black and white negative space, which makes it all the more impressive. Like they've really, um, I, th I think you're still on the first one, but once we get to the second one, like so much uh, in the in the image for this second chapter has been done with mm -hmm. so little, like truly so little, just like no colors, black mm -hmm. and white. Uh, I'm super impressed by this artist. I'm not sure who they are, but. Um, so this Good is work. Nancy Brown. Um, so Nancy, um, it, 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 looking at all of this, you're like, oh, wow, this is like very beautiful, like detailed kind of like pen work and negative space. Um, if I actually open up here, the, um, uh, so you can actually see how she originally made them. Uh, the oh. way that she actually originally made them was through, um, see-through plastic 
Negative. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, so all of this was done on see-through um, materials, which she would then combine in various forms to then make the different pieces of artwork. That's just too cool. Right. I, I love it when art also is like the creativity of the medium is part of the the figuring into the art. That's just, that's fantastic. Yeah. So she's incredibly, incredibly um, talented um, uh, uh, designer and um, illustrator. Um, Seriously, this is next level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, this is this is kind of our our little area that we've ended up in. So this is Queen Street Mall in Brisbane for anyone who's never been to Brisbane before. So it's an open air mall. Um, it's got these beautiful fig trees that run through the centre, and then there are shops on either side. Um, and so the centre of the mall has this beautiful green space and benches. It has um, fountains uh, in it that kind of cascade down. Um, and uh, and then it has various bits of, and we'll come across them because uh, as you have, uh, uh, has been established at the start of this story, you are going for those high distinction marks in art. Uh, so we will be coming across a lot of different uh, and very art pieces in this area. Um, but this is the area where you go down into the underground bus station, station B, um, and you see all of these kind of very beautiful um historic kind of facades um including myers which um you mentioned before there brett is one of uh, the major department chain stores in australia it's kind mm. of our version of hudson bay um gotcha. and so they have a series of christmas windows every christmas where they take all of the this the um front uh windows which would normally be filled with mannequins and whatnot and they pick a children's book story and they have like animatronic puppets and um and dioramas that they essentially fill the windows with to tell the story from this picture book uh, gotcha. during the christmas eve so and the only reason that i bring that up is because apparently the last time google was here was during christmas because there's, <laughs> there's a nice yeah 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 <laughs> well that, that hits two points like you know so we're here in edmonton and, and it's there's snow on the ground and we're having our first fake spring and it'll be winter again in a couple of seconds before we get real spring. Mm -hmm. But I love that you said that it's an open mall and, and how laughable that concept would be in Canada in that mm -hmm. built an entire mall. Like West Edmonton mall is one of the biggest malls in the world because the amusement park and the water park in there can only function year round because they're indoors because Edmonton is such a, a wasteland for five months of the year that to make a proper water park and to make a proper amusement park, we literally <laughs> encased them in a building so that we could actually do this year round. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so like that, um, I suppose is what I really love about doing these armchair travel pieces because this is normal in Australia. It is rare in Australia to, um, there are indoor malls like they do exist in the suburbs but in the downtown city centers it's all these open air pedestrian malls uh, gotcha. with the green space so yeah all right brett take it away yeah yeah we gotta we gotta focus up we gotta we got <laughs> not too much longer left and we gotta get through a bunch of chapters so maybe we'll uh we'll see what we can do to get through this hey mm -hmm. okay you stand at Platform B bus station. Not a good idea. Screaming commuters race up the stairs, chased by walking carcasses, blood-stained and oozing green slime. People spew into the mall, wounded, screaming. You're convinced, this, you're convinced the city is infected. It has to be. Zombies are here. But how? Mary tugs on your hand. Where to now? The pain in your ankle isn't as distracting as the thousands of hungry shoppers coming towards you. They're not here to shop for clothes, you think. They'll want a foot-long meatball sub right now. And if you don't move soon, you'll be the meatballs. You recognize one of the stumbling figures, your uni friend, Shane. As he walks towards you, he stops and slowly turns around. You watch in horror as he pounces on an old man, riding him piggyback before ripping out his ear with his teeth. 
The ear pops off and splats on the ground. Bile rises up in your throat and you clap your hand over your mouth. This can't be happening. Do you know him? Mary asks. No! You say adamantly. Shane never acted like this. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> he, was, he was in your bioscience class last year studying medicine. You changed to art. Stitching people up wasn't really going to be your thing. Is that me? Oh, oh yeah, yes, me. Sorry. <laughs> we need to. We need to go that way. You say, pushing Mary along the mall, head away from the death groans rising out of the bus station and from Shane. But, that, but that's, that's not, not the, the way, way to, to the, the garden. Oh, sorry. That's, you're okay. That, that's not the way to the gardens. We we need to go that way. Mary points east, but the mall is a chaotic mess of blood and limping bodies. Which way should you go? Going to the gardens could be a death trap. What if you help Mary find her parents and you become their lunch? Your throat feels dry, your head dizzy. That scratch on your ankle is throbbing. Is Mary more dangerous than you realize? If you regret your decision to help Mary and you can ditch her somewhere, go south to the mall. If you can't stand your dry throat, however, and your conscience won't let you ditch Mary, Go to the art piece. All right. So we uh, are trying to head away from death. Um, but Mary wants you to run through death because that's the last place she saw your parents, saw her parents. Mm-hmm. Brett, as you can see here in this new street view, now that we've moved further along the mall, look at all of these zombies. Look at them. Look at them, wow. so bloodthirsty. They are so, so bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder why some of these are um, blocked out. Like, I wonder if, like, you can go into Street View and, like, block out you faces can. if you're... You 100% can do that. Really? Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe they, like, a couple of these people might be minors and so they, they just automatically do that as a maybe i don't know so we should cut our discussion pretty quickly and get to the next chapter here mm -hmm. um thoughts uh i mean i'm i'm 100 on board to help a small helpless child even at the risk of my own life i feel like that's the way to go here mm -hmm. helping mary is the way to go um yeah yeah, I think so. I think poor Mary, like you can't you now that you know how bad things are and that like your former friends are like taking down old men meatball sandwich style, um, we should probably, you know, it, we're we're doubly in it now. Yeah, and especially since like, you know, if we're going meta here, like if we got this scratch and we're turning into a zombie and that means Mary's a zombie, I mean like, you know. Give everyone a, a good last half an hour of life here, right? Let's 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 be good people while we can. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So we are then heading to Charlotte Street. Um, so we are currently in the mall. Uh, and I, I might just Elvin Street to Charlotte. Beautiful. Down I might here. just uh, plow ahead while you're you're figuring that out, Emily. If that's okay. Sounds perfect. Okay. I'm, I'll take Mary until you're you're ready. This art piece looks so good you could lick it. You squash your face to the window. Water, you groan. I need water. Mary has followed you, but is fast losing her patience with your crazy behavior. Are you turning into one of them? You swing around. An old man dressed in torn clothes speaks to you. No, not at all. You say, jerking away from the glass. I'm a student. Well, that says it all, he says. Look, kid, if you want to be a hero, stay here. If not, follow me. I've got ways to stay safe in this city. Places to keep me warm at night. You know what I'm saying? And I'm heading back to him. He starts to head south on Charlotte Street, nearing George Street. But wait, there's more people streaming around you. Men? women in their early 20s maybe dressed in a city chic crying running 
but they look healthy. And where are you going? You call to them. One girl stops mid-pavement. My, my friends, our friends, they're trapped by monsters in our building. She looks at you as if you're wearing your underpants over your clothes. We're going to help them, of course. You recognize the girl. Hey, you were in my class. You say? Biosites, last year, remember? A flicker of recognition. Yes. She says. So were you the morons that let this virus out? Because we've had students leaked a flesh-eating virus. They did this to our city. You feel a pang of guilt. Sure, you had nothing to do with that, but should you help? Can you walk much further? That scratch on your ankle is throbbing now. The old man calls from the street corner. Helm, here I come. He knows his way around the city. What if he has a safe hiding place till this all blows over? Do you follow your guilt trip and follow the group of interns? Or follow the old man to his safe hiding spot? Um, so just bringing this up here because so in so the waterography um, piece of artwork is actually in this section just up here. And so you gotcha. can't really see it because of the trees, but this is what the, the artwork looks like. So the glass oh, cool. in there is all beautiful. Um, uh, you can kind of see little like pieces of it just there, um, mm -hmm. but all beautiful uh, ripples within the, within the panels there. Love me some water. Love me some water artwork. So we seem to be uh, uh, talking about we're not talking too much about uh, Mary here. Oh, sorry. Actually, the prompts are a little more clear. So for the guilt trip, it says Mary is still trailing you. And for the the safe hiding spot, it says whichever way you go, Mary's not going to let you go so easily. And she'll follow. She'll also be safest there. So the Parliament House move is is for safety of Mary. And then the, the Neville Bonner building is uh, if you want to see if we can uh, save face. Uh, with the group of interns. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think that we've done everything for Mary at this stage, right? And I think that to to go into danger with some people who are trapped in a building, um, even even if you know other students from your your past class may have been responsible for letting this virus out, like we're in this for Mary now. That's she's the only reason we've stayed this far. So I think that gotcha. we need to put her safety ahead of anything else, don't you? I think so too. Um, I mean, there is, you know, does our character know how zombie apocalypses work? Because if you go to a safe house, you're doomed. You know, like that's that's not the right choice. You know, like action is is success. Uh, I, I it must. I think it's even one of the. The rules uh, from Zombieland, I can't remember all of them. I know cardio is number one, mm -hmm. um, but somewhere in there is like keep moving, right? Like yeah. I, I'm sure one of the rules is keep moving and going to a safe hiding spot is not keeping moving. Um, so I, I am all in it for Mary, but I'm also all in it on getting shit done. All right. So, okay. So we've got to, we've got to vote for either side. So you're like, let's go and get shit done. Uh, with yeah. this group of interns and I'm like let's hide in a hole you are the deciding mm -hmm. vote here Chris um well I'm gonna I'm gonna say that my character actually secretly has a crush on the, on the other person so he's gonna follow her anyway nice so that's, nice Ooh, yeah. I love he's, that he's, he's got he's got other motivations we don't know about I love <laughs> adding that flavor that's really cool all right let's work with that all right let's do this especially since you are voicing that character you get you get to make that call here <laughs> You do, you do. All right, so we are... It's going to end horribly, but that'll serve him right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just follow your heart. <laughs> All right, so we are heading here, closer to the river, the William... I'm pretty sure this is the William. So that's the, 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 the Neville Bonner store. building? And then I think the Neville Bonner building is this guy here. Gotcha. This one. This used to be where I'm the Science a... Museum was, I'm pretty sure. Back in the day. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep plowing ahead on the story here, Emily. Do it. So which TP are you on? I've lost my page. Uh, we uh, are on eight. TP eight. 
Okay. Help her! You are standing at the Neville Bonner building inside a spiral nest out of the front. A girl grips onto the dangling metal chains, zombies clawing at her feet. The girl you recognize pushes you forward. You've got to help her! But how will you traverse the opening divide with, without slamming to the courtyard below? You judge the distance between the building and the drop. It's been forever since you scaled kangaroo point glyphs, all of a few meters, secure with ropes and harness. You flex your arms, and the tingle surges through you. Excitement? Anticipation, perhaps? No. It feels like cold fluid running through your veins. Maybe it's that scratch Mary gave you. You stand on the platform edge, eyes closed, and jump in the direction of the swinging net. With superhuman strength you've never experienced before, and such nimble fingers. Is it all the doodling you've done in the uni lectures? You find yourself gripping onto the steel net and look below. Your legs are dangling midair, but you've made it! You curl your fist and punch at the zombies hanging below you. One zombie falls, and the next one splits open on the pavement below. You are doing this. You are punching at them, and they're flying through the air, descending to their death. The group cheers as you hoist the girl onto your back, crab crawl back down the net, and leap off to hit the pavement below. You drop the girl to the pavement where she staggers towards her friends. Rick Grimes, eat your heart out. Heart. Out. Eat. Suddenly you're hungry. Too hungry. The people around you are starting to look like fresh hamburgers made to order. Mary extends a helping hand. Oh, that could be juicy. My parents, she says, delighted. I know you can save my parents. Your head swells with a continuing applause from the interns, but you can't stop there. Mary expects similar heroics from you. Let's go, you say. Adrenaline buzzes through your veins. You can do this. Follow Mary as she takes you to the tree behind the QUT sign. All right, so we are. There is no choice here. We are continuing the next chapter. Yeah, you are being forced. Um, I was trying to see, like get us as close to the to the Neville de Bona building as possible. So like, so this um, building um, uh, has a has an artwork. There's actually a gap between the building that has that net, um, mm -hmm. but I can't find a picture of it. Um, uh, uh, do you mind if I keep uh, reading uh, here? Uh, so that's, that's, that's the net that they were talking about. Oh. Uh, so it's a, it's a piece of artwork that's off the side of that building. I love that uh, the you of the story has used uh, their zombie, their emerging zombie strength to uh, do heroic deeds. That's a what a way to go. I mean, assuming we we don't make it, I mean, maybe we find the cure in a couple chapters here. But right now, it's looking like it's we're looking mostly great. doing we're we're doing good with the the powers that we've been given. Um, but I'm not super thinking we're going to make it through this. I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. All right. Here we are. We are at the QUT campus at, right next to the Botanic Garden here in Brisbane. Um, and uh, these trees here are normally full of um, ibis birds, um, which... Which are basically the bird version of a zombie, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're kind of... They kind of like a little kind of we also we also call them bin chickens in Australia. They were known as bin chickens um, because they're always they're always using those big long noses to get crap out of bins. Mm -hmm. They're best guys. Yeah. yeah. So so this is an ibis, uh, and they roost in these trees in the botanic garden. Um, and so you don't really want to linger under several of them because you're very likely to get ibis poop um, dropped on top of you. So uh, that's just setting the scene there for our uh, for our final chapter. All right. Oh, final chapter. 
Ooh, you know more than I do here, Emily. <clears throat> All right, let's let's mm. give it a go. You have followed Mary into the gardens via the George Street George Street entrance. On the way, you pass the Q U T sign. Do we do we say cut? Cut no, cut or is it Q U T? Mm -hmm. Okay. And stand now at a tree. When you look down, the pavement is littered with ibis droppings. Thousands of birds birds crawl through the trees, squawking. Mary clutches your hand. My parents are here, she says. In Go these ahead, gardens, Emma. you promised to help me find them. Did you promise her? Or have you been dragged into a crazy chase trying to survive the living dead? Was it possible students did leak the virus? You hadn't noticed before, but Mary smells, Mary smells sweet. Blood thirsty sweet she drags you down the path but within a few meters you slow to a limp a ravenous hunger takes over suddenly you see mary for what she is a huge hunk of flesh or maybe more of an entree mary screams at you to move her eyes flare red with anger they could be kind of juicy really the ibises swoop the tips of their beaks nipping at your head and you think, what would a nibis taste like? Chicken, maybe? You flight your bur blurring vision. The scratch, you think. What has Mary done to you? Has she infected you? Looking down at your ankle, you see your whole leg has turned green. Your body is shutting down. You can't control your arms, and your thighs feel as if they were made of lead. You move forward, and your feet drag mary turns to you she's lost her fight she's not screaming anymore in fact she's turning the same sickly green color as you she sways where she stands and moans softly you stagger towards each other your brains shutting down instincts to eat flesh taking over you have one last coherent thought will mary's parents be zombies by now or will they be alive, hiding from your kind? You limp towards a bandicoot on the path ahead. Have Mary's parents been snacking on them, you wonder? As Mary follows your lead. E. End. Bum, bum, bum. I do wonder whether you were doomed from the beginning. Like, you talked about being scratched from the very, very, very... very right off the hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, are all of these endings going to end in you dying? Who knows? You know how you can find out, though, by downloading the Story City app at about.storycity.app where you can turn on spoiler mode and see what would have happened if you had made different choices to us. That is how you find out. Um, just putting a little plug there. Story is free, by the way. And uh, if you are in Brisbane, you could, in fact, go through Brisbane trying to survive your own version of this zombie apocalypse. Um, it is, I should have said this at the start of the story, we actually had this suggestion from a listener. Um, this is an M15 plus story. Um, so it does have gore in it. It does uh, involve people trying to stab other people with stilettos and eating brains and piggybacking on old men and eating their their brains out. Um, Emily, so I feel like I feel like your your description of how it is M fifteen plus is also M fifteen plus. So slightly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so maybe. <laughs> yeah. One, give the warning at the top of the podcast, Emily. Two, maybe not be so graphic with your description. Um, but. There we go. Some some interesting things for you guys to consider there. Um, so in the first uh, in chapter, you had a little bit of um, Chris's lovely um, music composition there, and then I also found it for our last uh, chapter there as well. Very eerie, um, very creepy, uh, definitely zombie apocalypse worthy. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you uh, so much, gentlemen for joining me on this uh, zombie apocalypse adventure. Um, for anyone who is interested, we run this every week. 
uh, uh, with a, a new creator every week. Uh, and so next week uh, is with uh, our wonderful author, Meg Van, who wrote a, um, uh, a heist or thief story uh, set in the Woolloongabba area of Brisbane called The Great Gabba Mystery, where you are a private detective trying to solve a, uh, a theft. Um, and uh, talking about at the start of this uh, this whole adventure, you were talking about Brett, where like depending on the choices that you go down, it results in like very different stories with very different genres. Megs is one of those stories, so cool. you can go down some very you know regular thriller genres, or you could end up down like a full on fantasy pathway in that story. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, where we end up. So please do feel free to join us next week. Um, we will be doing, uh, that one, I believe on, if I check my, my calendar here, um, we will be doing that one next Thursday night as well. So Thursday at 7 PM Friday, if you live in Australia, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us, um, for making things on Story City. How can people find you? Uh, easiest way, I mean, you look up my name on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, um, or www.christopherhealy, H-E-A-L-E-Y dot net. Uh, you find the website and all, all the, you could ever possibly want to know about me and more on there. Too much. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Is anyone else craving a hamburger or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right in there, eh? Yep. Yes, please. or chicken. Uh, I was just, I was like. Mm. No, definitely no. Uh, this is not an appealing. No, no, no. You're not up for the bin chicken? Um, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, I think that would worsen it, zombie. <laughs> well, thank you so much, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. Uh, and we will see everybody else next week. Bye. Thanks so much.